the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join the conversation. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And of course, I am welcomed by my wonderful co-host, Abigail Johnson. Tonight, we are welcoming into our studio Dr. Alana Fishbin. She is the founder and president of the national grassroots movement, No Left Turn in Education. She has extensive professional background in the nonprofit field throughout her undergraduate and graduate education, as well as her professional career. Dr. Fishbin's focus has been on disadvantaged children, youth, and their families from low-income and distressed communities. She has earned a bachelor's degree in social work from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. In her master's at Rutgers University, she concentrated on designing social change. Her interest in maximizing service effectiveness, efficiency, and impact led her to the doctoral program at the University of Pennsylvania School of Social Policy and Practice. Combined with coursework at the Wharton Business School, she specializes in management and program evaluation. Dr. Fishben grew up in Israel and has served in the Israel Defense Forces. She is a married full-time mother of three boys and lives in the suburbs of Philadelphia. We are so happy to have you. Alana, welcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alana. Thank you very much for having me. Yes. Well, Alana, you and I had the wonderful opportunity to get to know each other about a month ago. We had a nice long phone call. And I was just so enamored by your background and just how you have formed um, your thoughts over the course of time. And it all really started with your upbringing in Israel. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and the experience that you had there growing up in Israel? Uh, Sure. Um, My parents came to Israel in the very early 50s as refugees from Iraq, right after the birth of uh, Israel as a new uh, country, Mm -hmm. a rebirth, I would say. Yes. And uh, they had had nothing. They were very poor. They they were placed in tent camps because there were no housing. And after several years, they went to public housing. And that's where I grew up. I grew up in a public housing with... uh, people, uh, immigrants, refugees, basically, that came from uh, Muslim countries and uh, 
you know, the Jews that survived the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, very poor country, very limited uh, option. Uh, luckily, the government had a program for children who excelled in school, and, but coming from a very poor background, and we were sent to, uh, by choice, nobody forced us. This was like, uh, actually, you had to pass several testings to be admitted to the program, and it was sent to boarding school. Mm. So I went to a boarding school um, in Jerusalem for my high school, and they really, it opened uh, the world to me and the opportunities to see what's beyond of my little uh, neighborhood, very poor neighborhood, and discover the world. Uh, and from there, of course, I went to the IDF and uh, went, started pursuing my higher education. My choice of uh, social work was not coincidental because at that time, I saw and I felt it and I knew it from personal experience that you need to give some kind of help to the people in this neighborhood in order to help them to really open up the world the way it was done with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that somebody uh, has little means, so they are poor and are growing in a project, in a public housing, doesn't mean they're stupid, doesn't mean they are not capable of achieving uh, you know, the maximum and maximizing actually on their potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what led me basically to choose my profession in social work and also choose my expertise or concentration in child welfare. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that we are providing kids as early as possible the kind of support that will enable them to flourish in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really what helped me form my worldview about education mm-hmm. as a venue, the major, major avenue for people to really advance themselves and succeed in life. And that's why I'm very sensitive to what's happening today in the classroom around the country, because I do feel, and we'll get to it probably next time, when we talk how all the indoctrination that's going on in schools today impact the most the kids that are coming from what they call marginalized communities, disadvantaged uh, communities. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love that too, because you actually did focus on that in your degree program also, the disadvantaged communities. And clearly, you understand what you're talking about because you came from that type of a community. And so as you pointed out, you understand the value of the great equalizing that education provides when education is done well, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Exactly. That's really the key, that education is done right. Mm-hmm. And the kids in school are not used as a political pawn in a political game, and they're not used to advance any agenda, but rather focusing on what the kids need in order to succeed in life. When the kids are succe- succeeding in their lives, the family is succeeding, the community is succeeding, and the nation is succeeding. Mm-hmm. There is a complete correlation here uh, between what's happening to a child when they are accomplished and happy in whatever field they choose, in whatever capabilities they have, because we are all different. We are mm-hmm. individuals. We are not belonging to a group that define us as human beings or define our uh, options in life. That's the way 
today it's being imposed on our children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, uh, Alana, I really appreciate that you're willing to say that our children are being used um, through the school system, through the, a lot of the educational systems. They are being used for political purposes. And I think that that historically, um, many of us, at least here in the United States, grew up really believing the absolute best. Um, you know, we maybe had a wonderful public school experience, and that is something that a lot of people cling to and then cannot quite grasp why is it that all of these issues are happening. And I think that it is really helpful when there is a problem to name it. And I think that COVID allowed a lot of parents to see that really the school systems, the educational systems were putting kids last. They were saying, nope, stay home, even though you are not learning anything. Stay home, stay home, don't worry, you'll catch up sometime. And I appreciate your willingness to just call a spade a spade, Mm -hmm. Um, that kids oftentimes are, their academics are not being placed first. Mm You know, or their uh, emotional well-being. Absolutely, uh, because the kind of things that's happening in the school today—they're really—I don't see how the emotional well-being, uh, as well as the intellectual and academic well-being, is a priority. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is not being prioritized in the name of political gain really is is really the whole point they're being used as pawns and it's very sad to see and very disturbing and it's disturbing for the future of our country it's disturbing for the individual child but it's also disturbing for the future of our country Mm -hmm. um, because it it is going to further create this elitist group that still is educated but then the vast majority doesn't really have a real education. And Elena, or Alana, sorry, I I have to get your name correctly pronounced, and I I keep uh, having to re-correct myself. But um, when you obviously fast forward after your degree, you um, were married and raising a family, your kids were in the public schools, and COVID hit, and then the George Floyd event occurred, um, tell us how that really set off a series of events for you um, that got you to this place where you are now running this national organization called No Left Turn in Education. You know, it's important to, to mention that I have noticed over the years when my kids in public school and in very good public school, what's considered top public schools in the country mm-hmm. that little by little there are more and more politicization of the curriculum mm-hmm. uh, in different subjects but it was not so much uh, pronounced or overt uh, it was just here and there and every time there would be an incident and I will go to the teacher and I'll go to the principal and the counselor and I'll raise the issue and they will be listening very politely and nodding their head and and kind of make you believe that they are listening and they're understanding. And I'll up my kids out when uh, it's, I felt that I would not want them to participate in a particular activity or class. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, still, myself and as I know now, parents across the country trusted the school we trusted the teachers and we trusted the school board that we knew nothing about, that they have the best interests of our kids in mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I decided to pull my kids out of school, it was right before the COVID. 
When oh. I, so my husband and I started feeling that it's starting to be too much of the politicization, mm-hmm. and we started looking into private schools. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit a month later. Mm. Wow. And then George Floyd was in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in June, when the school about to uh, close, you know, the, the school was about to introduce us to all this cultural proficiency program that they called. Mm. Uh, it was already at the stage that we decided to leave school. We already found an alternative school. But when we saw the program, two days before the school was over, when they are the principal sending us a, a letter, and in that letter she's indicating that they are going to change the lesson plan for the next day because of what's happening in, around the country as a result of the death of George Floyd. Uh, and we are looking at the lesson plan and we are looking at the material, the books that were attached to that lesson plan. And we, we read them because there were links for the books online. We read the books and we were horrified, completely mm-hmm. horrified. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely racist books yes. and they were targeting kids. Uh, my son was second grade and one son was second grade and the second son was in fourth grade. Okay. And we're looking at the book, and we completely uh, were flabbergasted, and we called uh, all the teachers and told them that we're asking our kids out of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, school was over. Mm-hmm. And a few days later, I wrote my letter to the superintendent and the school board and the, the principal, basically questioning the purpose and the validity of this kind of teaching mm-hmm. and calling it what it is. Yeah. And in fact, in that letter, I'm indicating that the group that is going to be harmed most are the people that are considered, as I said before, marginalized uh, and groups that uh, are in uh, low-income, you know, status. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's really the thing that made me so uh, uh, really unbelievable. I I couldn't believe that this is happening. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I didn't think that it's a, you know, widespread. I thought it's in my school district. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, later on, when none of them replied to my letter, and I do have the letter on my Facebook on our website, mm-hmm. uh, when none of them replied to my letter, a few weeks later, I posted it on the Facebook page of the parents of the school, uh, basically asking to have a conversation and mm-hmm. see what do they think? Do they see what's happening? Do they know about this? Um, because as you remember, we were all hunkered down with the COVID at home. Yes. And uh, everybody was afraid to leave home. We did not really interact much with friends and everything was done on social media. Mm-hmm. And I was faced with uh, like uh, really uh, a squad that is uh, shooting me with all sort of titles and labels like racist and bigots and not in our school. You're breaking so much pain. And all I did is just post my letter and ask to have a discussion. Mm. But there's no uh, discussion in our country anymore, is there? It's hard to have that discussion. So um, for our listeners, you're listening to Education America on AM 1280, The Patriot. And we have on today Dr. Elena Fishbein, who is the founder and president of No Left Turn in Education. And Dr. Alana has just taken us through her background and growing up in Israel and um, also just kind of the early stages of what prompted her to start No Left Turn in Education. And, you know, one thing that I think really strikes me about your story, Alana, is that people 
lambasted you. It sounds like you kind of faced a firing squad practically when you um, posted your letter, which, by the way, had never been responded to by the superintendent. Um, And what's interesting to me, and this is what's so sad about our culture today, is all these assumptions are made about you. Mm -hmm. You know, they have no idea how you grew up, that you grew up in camps, in a tent city, um, as a as a immigrant in Israel, and that you suffered, you know, in poverty, and they assume that you're just this well-to-do elite in your ivory, in your ivory tower, in your ivory tower, yeah. And so, particularly because I'm Jewish, and yes, so yes, I'm, more so, and yes. also, of course, the white privilege, Jewish, yeah, yeah. So That's how what, how did, the labels? Yeah. And so how did you respond to that when you started getting this, as you said, firing squad of of negative comments and um, assumptions laid out for you um, on social media? How did you respond? No doubt I was shocked uh, because those people don't know me, as you said. Uh, At the same time, I did not engage with them really because they were not interested in engaging in any conversation. Mm -hmm. But also, having some of my research background, I took screenshots of all those um, comments. (laughs) Oh, you're my favorite now. You're my favorite. (laughs) Keep the receipts. So that's why I called them a firing squad because there were really 15 people, 14 women and one man, mothers and fathers, and out of the population of over a thousand parents in that school. So they are not the majority. And that's right. actually typical of what's happening today. Yes. Uh, the people who are pushing all this that are in a great, great minority, but they have a lot of power. Yes. Very, first of all, they're very vocal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are very quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that brings me actually uh, to the second point that some people that saw my post wrote me private messages in support. So here I have mm-hmm. a firing squad in the city square mm-hmm. uh, doing it in public, mm-hmm. whereas the people who support me writing me private messages because they cannot write any public message because they're afraid. Yeah. They're afraid of getting the treatment that I got, (sighs) uh, and all of them congratulating me. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. every single one of them, literally every single one of them indicated that they were afraid to speak up. Yeah, They support me, but they're afraid to speak up. And And this is really what made me launch the movement, Mm -hmm. that I said, it can't be. Again, looking back at my history as Jew, as Israeli, and I said, I know what happens. When you duck, they still come after you. (laughs) I know what happened to our people in Europe. Mm -hmm. Even when they were in ghettos, Mm -hmm. they were led to the gas chambers still. Mm -hmm. I know what happened to my parents in Iraq, to the people that live there or the Jews in other parts of the world. That's why they came to Israel as refugees with nothing, because the government took everything from them when they moved to Israel. Mm -hmm. So I know what happened when you're, you know... uh, thing that you can hide and you can build a big wall, particularly after the violent summer of 2020, when we saw what's happening on the street with BLM, mm-hmm. with Antifa, with all those people burning city, shooting people indiscriminately, robbing, looting, 
who's going to stop them? Yeah. If we are all going to hide, be afraid, mm-hmm. all of us are going to think that let's protect only mine. Mm-hmm. You can't. Mm-hmm. I took my kids out of public school. I put them in a private school. But am I protected? No. As long as I live in this country, in this community, we are not protected unless we defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt again we did in Israel. Mm-hmm. If we would have listened to all the name calling, all the labels that they call us in Israel, apartheid, Nazis, whatever they call us, we would have been bygones by now. But we don't. We have to believe in our truth. We have to believe in our right to exist as a free people. The same as I feel here, we have to believe and let our kids know that they have to believe in their rights. Absolutely. Not from the government. You didn't get your right as a human being from the government. It's our right to live as free people and defend our right to live as free people. So this is definitely, there was very important for me. That was really the critical thing for me in determining that I have to get up and fight this. Mm-hmm. And Alana, all I, know, I can, all I can think about is the uh, the quote, I'm sure you've heard it a myriad of times uh, by Pastor Martin Niemoller. And it talks about, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for Mm me. Hmm. And I just, I I don't want to minimize how difficult it is to speak out when it does make you a target for Mm -hmm. honestly, you know, people who really are not willing to engage in respectful dialogue, Mm -hmm. which is what we should be doing. Um, But all I can think about is this wonderful service, not only that you're giving to your particular community by giving them the opportunity to see that there is someone who is willing to speak out Mm -hmm. and providing that courage, but now um, launching your national organization, providing that same courage and that same encouragement to Mm -hmm. so many others. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing we shouldn't forget as parents, and I think all of us who are parents, mother and fathers, don't we don't forget the fathers we <laughs> when we uh, give birth to the children and my without my husband i would not have been able to do this at all uh, when we yes. give birth to our children when we have children we do make a promise to them to protect them and to to take the bullets for them mm-hmm. we'll jump ahead you know in front of the bus for them i made that commitment to my children and i felt that time this is the bullet Yes. Mm-hmm. They yes. are coming after my children. Yep. yep. And what am I doing? Hiding? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not going to help. Yeah. And also what was very apparent to me, because you see, still today, many people don't believe it's happening. As much as we expose it, and that's we're working very hard to expose it everywhere it's possible. People do not believe it's happening because it's so insane. Yeah. Yes. It's just it's, it's beyond It defies belief. Yes. It defies belief. It's a beyond mm-hmm. belief. Mm-hmm. However, that's why I, from the very beginning, it didn't make sense. And I think I'm a common sense person. I said, I know. I know in my heart. I know in my mind 
that we are the majority. The mm-hmm. people who are like us, that think that this is insane and this should be really uh, uh, eradicated are the great, great majority. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being afraid doesn't help. And yeah. this is only a radical minority of radical left who are really having a lot of control mm-hmm. in our society, mm-hmm. including uh, what they call the mainstream media, that there's nothing mainstream about them, mm-hmm. including the big tech, including the government today, even more so with Biden and the administration and Mary Garland that's supposed to uphold the law and is actually calling parents like us domestic terrorists. So we are in a problem, a lot of George Soros on their side. So we are in a problem because, uh, you know, they are holding major intersection of power. However, we have the real power. Absolutely. We are the people. Yes. This is one we of the best the things that the Biden administration has done mm-hmm. is made parents now act, you know, activated. They're now looking at, you know, Rand sometimes I think Randy Weingarten has been, you know, the the impetus to the success mm-hmm. of the parents movement because what she says is so far Outrageous. removed <laughs> from what parents experience is mm-hmm. in the their school system that now parents are finally getting involved. Although you're right, mm-hmm. I, I am continually amazed that there are parents that they absolutely refuse mm-hmm. to believe what is happening. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I'm sure you've noticed, we actually just had a guest on last week that is running a parent organization that's local here in Minnesota helping school board candidates. And she said that um, as they are able to help other people uh, hear and learn about the fact that they are not alone that it empowers others to speak up. So are you finding, and we'll talk more about this next week too, but even in your area, when you first started speaking up and you got all those private messages, did people start having more confidence and start speaking out against this indoctrination in the schools um, uh, a little bit more publicly so that you weren't the only one publicly speaking out? Indeed, I, I was really, apparently I didn't know at that time, but it became apparent right away that, I was really uh, a lone wolf. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I spoke up, because even when I had a group of uh, mothers or concerned uh, community members, they still did not want to speak publicly. Wow. And we were the first organization. Yeah. National, we were the first organization. And months later, another group started and another group, some national and some local. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, indeed, I feel that by exposing more, by having people come together as group and not go alone to school board meetings because it's very intimidating, you know, most of the people, including myself, I knew nothing about school board. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about what they do, who are the members of the school board. Literally, I was completely... Uh, I mean, tabula rasa when it comes to school board. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 I, and although I found out later on that my neighbor is a school board member. In my <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's funny. <laughs> you know, it is. And I, yeah. it just uh, it blows your mind. And, I, and the only thing I knew about school board is that they are raising our taxes every year. Yeah, right. That's the only thing I knew. They are raising your taxes, and I did not like it. But oh, it was almost God. like uh, one of the commandments that school boards raise your taxes, and you're, there's nothing that can, you can do about it. Yeah. This was literally what 
but yeah. for me it was like being on a very fast learning curve to understand yeah. who making those decisions right who has Alana the power Alana who we the power? we are on that note that is an important question who is making these decisions who who has this power and how do they get it and we are actually at the end of our time but we're going to be bringing Elena Alana back in next week to discuss further um, what is happening in our public school system and how no left turn in education is really answering the call to really empower parents to speak up um, on behalf of their children. So Elena, thank you so much for having us or thank you so much for being on our show today. And we look forward to having you again next week. Have a good night. Thank you, everyone. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.